Father in heaven, Lord, once again, we want to thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your love and for this wonderful privilege that is ours in studying your word. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would just fill this room, fill our hearts, captivate our minds, convict our hearts, convert our souls, and make us more like Jesus. And I pray, Father, that this message will be presented clearly and understood clearly and that we would get excited about the time in which we live and the mission that you've given to us to accomplish. So bless us now as our prayer. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Would you please take your Bible and open with me to the book of Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 as we begin our study tonight entitled Watchmen, What of the Night? We're going to Romans the 13th chapter where the Apostle Paul shares these powerful and stirring words. Romans 13 verse 11. Please write it down and notice with me in your Bible. And if you're there and if you're ready to study the Bible, would you let me know by saying amen. Romans 13 11, the Apostle writes, And that, knowing the time, that now it is a high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. In this verse, the Lord through the Apostle Paul sends to us an urgent alarm. An alarm to awake us out of spiritual slumber and sleepiness. This passage tells us that the night is almost finished. The day is at hand. And now it is a high time, an urgent time, a solemn time to shake off the spiritual sleepiness and to put on the armor of light, which is none other than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, friends, many people have fallen asleep in this dark world but now God's light is shining upon us and God is sounding an alarm and shining the light to awaken the sleeping giant into eternal victory. Now, friends, is the very worst time to go to sleep. And so if you feel a little bit sleepy right now, just shake yourself. Amen. And if someone next to you, you see dozing off, just go ahead and give them a sanctified nudge. <laughs> now is the most dangerous time to sleep. God is calling us to wake up. Now, friends, let me ask you, have you ever slept through a, an important event in your life? Overslept resulting in missing that event? Well, recently I read an article that told the story of one that did just that. His name was, or I should say, his name is Jody George. What is his name? Jody George, and he is a triathlete that lives in the United Kingdom there in, in England. And Jody George, here's a picture of him. He had spent a whole year training for a triathlon in England, a race that includes a 2.4-mile swim, after that a 112-mile run, and then ending with a 26-mile marathon, or excuse me, 120-mile cycle, uh, riding the bike, and then ending with a 26-mile marathon. 
And Jody George was competing for a good cause. He wanted to raise funds for the Somerset Air Ambulance. And upon sharing his cause with others, he was able to draw hundreds of supporters and he raised over 1,000 British pounds from hundreds of people who donated to support his cause. Every week he would post on Facebook and social media his progress and his preparations and everyone was excited for him and, and Jody felt very confident in himself. And the night before the race was to, to, to happen, he felt well prepared and, and, and strangely and unusually relaxed. A little bit too relaxed, looking back in hindsight. Jody went to sleep early that night, hoping to wake up early, eager to get a good head start on the race the next day. And he set his alarm for 3 o'clock in the morning, 3 a.m. And when that time arrived, the alarm went off. Jody looked at the alarm. He saw 3 a.m. And then Jody made a decision that he would ever after regret. He hit the snooze button. A terrible mistake. Why? Because you know what they say. You snooze, you lose. You snooze, you lose. He ended up waking up three hours later. Knowing that it was too late, he missed the race. He missed the race. He was devastated realizing that he slept right through what he had waited for for so long. And now he is filled with shame because now he has to apologize to all those hundreds of supporters who donated over a thousand pounds to support his cause. Jody had prepared for the race, but he was still unready for the race. Why? Because he failed to wake up. And why did he fail to wake up. Not because he did not know the time. He did know the time. The time was flashing in his face. The alarm was ringing in his ears, but he just wanted to sleep a few more minutes. And so he hit the snooze button. He ignored the alarm. And Jody lost that race because he didn't even start that race. And he did not start that race because he refused to wake up in time. What a story. What a tragedy. But what a lesson for you and me. Friends, listen. So many people in our, in our world today are, understand that we're living in a very dangerous, solemn, and unprecedented time. Many people are acknowledging that just like Time Magazine ran this article not long ago, that the end is very, very near. People are seeing the signs, but they are refusing to wake up. They're hearing the alarms, but they're hitting the spiritual snooze button. They just want to sleep for a little bit longer. But friends like Jody, they do it at the danger of missing an important event. But for us, the event is far more important than an earthly race. It's the race of salvation. If we sleep through this event, we will be eternally lost. And that's the reason why the Apostle Paul in the passage tells us that we need to awake out of sleep. 
The night of trouble is almost finished and the eternal day of deliverance is at hand. It is a high time for us to be wide awake and watchful because Jesus is coming soon. And somebody should say amen to that. In fact, Jesus said the same thing. I want you to turn now to the book of Mark chapter 13. Let's go to Mark chapter 13 where Jesus tells us that in this solemn time that we need to do something very important. So important that Christ actually repeats it four times. Now, friends, listen. When God says something once, it's important the first time he says it. When he says it twice, it's very important. Thrice, even more. But when he says it four times, it's because it's a matter of eternal importance. And I want you to notice in Mark chapter 13... Jesus in this chapter is describing the signs of the times. What it's going to be like in the last days. And in the midst of this discourse on the last days, Jesus then instructs us to do something that will enable us to make it through the last days. Now, how many of you want to make it through the last days? If so, let me hear you say amen. Well, then we need to open our ears and listen to what Jesus has to say in Mark 13, verse 32. If you're there, would you please say amen? But at that day and at the excuse me, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, therefore, and what? Watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is, is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to what? Watch. Verse 35, Watch ye therefore, for you know not when the master of the house comes, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Verse 36, lest coming suddenly he finds you what? Sleeping. Verse 37, and what I say to you, I say to all, what? What word did Jesus repeat four times in that passage? The word watch. Watch. You don't know the exact day or hour that Jesus is coming back. But we're to watch for his coming. We are to be wide awake. Now is not the time to go to sleep. Jesus says in the, in the last days we need to watch. In light of the fact that time is almost finished, we are to watch. Our redemption is drawing nigh and our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And the final movement was, movements will be rapid ones and his coming is closer than we think. And what a tragedy, friends, that this day will come upon us catching us off guard in spiritual slumber. Now, friends, there are two reasons I want to share with you today why Jesus calls us to watch. How many reasons? The first reason is so that you can be ready. Amen? But the second reason why the Lord wa wants us to watch is because he wants to use us to help others be ready as well. He wants to save you, and he wants to save others through you. You see, God is not only calling us to watch, but he's also calling us to be a watchman. In fact, notice what it says in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17. Notice what the Bible says, Ezekiel 3 verse 17. It's on the screen. The Bible says, Son of man, I have made thee a what? A watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. The Bible tells us that God is calling us to be watchmen on the walls of Zion. And we are to listen to what the Lord is saying to us. 
and then we're to spread that warning to others. We're not just to watch for ourselves, we're to watch even for others. And I love what it says in the book, Acts of the Apostles, page 361. It reads, it is the privilege of the watchmen on the walls of Zion to live so near to God and be so susceptible to the impressions of his spirit that he can work through them to tell men and women of their peril and point them to the place of safety. Faithfully are they to warn them of the sure results of transgression. In trumpet tones, their voices are to be lifted, and never are they to sound one wavering, uncertain note. Not for wages are they to labor, but, be, but because they cannot do otherwise, because they realize that there is a woe upon them if they fail to preach the gospel. Chosen of God and sealed with the blood of consecration, they are to rescue men and women from their impending destruction. Friends, listen carefully. It is a very sacred and solemn thing to be a spiritual watchman. The safety of all within the walls of the city and the eternal salvation of many outside of the walls depends on that word that you, by the grace of God, are commissioned by Christ to preach to the world. And God says that if we fail in giving the warning because of our spiritual sleepiness, and if people are lost because we failed to give that warning, the Bible tells us that those who are lost because we didn't warn them, their blood is going to be on our hands. God holds us responsible and accountable. It's a serious thing to be a watchman. God is calling us to stay awake. Uh, just a few months ago, I had the great privilege, my wife and I, of going to Africa went to the country of Kenya. We were invited to go there to preach to the Maasai people. And these individuals are amazing people. They live right there with the animals. And we held a week of revival there. We preached night after night. And, and many people were extremely blessed. But we, got the, we also got the chance to go on one of those African safaris to see the wild animals in their natural habitat. And I took some of these pictures I'll show you on the screen. I'm not sure if you can see them well. The, the, the resolution is not as good. But this is a picture that I took. Do you see those lions almost perfectly camouflaged in the golden grass? We saw the, the lions, a pride of lions that were on the hunt. And on their menu that day were these animals. I took this picture. They're called topis. What are they called? They're a part of the antelope subspecies. They call them topis. And uh, we could see the lions looking in the distance, eyeballing this herd of topis, these antelopes. And our car, our safari vehicle, was actually parked right in between the lions and the topis. So the lions were looking right at us, but they were actually looking past us, looking at these herd of topis that were eating grass. And uh, these creatures, the topis, are fast creatures. And we noticed that they were all standing erect, with their heads up high, watching the approach of the prowling lions who were perfectly camouflaged in the golden grass. Those topis had no fear for the lions as long as they were watching and knew where the lions were. As long as they could see the lions and knew where the lions were, these topis could easily outrun them. And so we were in the middle, and we all of a sudden we saw the lions take off and begin to chase the topis, and the topis outran them very easily. And the lions were disappointed. They did not have a meal 
in that moment. But later on on that same day, we saw a herd, and here's a, another picture. Uh, in, we saw in the plain of grass, I don't know if you can see it there, but we saw a herd of topis sleeping in the grass. You can see their horns sticking out of the grass there, right over there. And I, I thought to myself, how in the world could they sleep? What enables this herd to be so relaxed when there are ravenous lions walking about seeking whom they may devour? How could they have rest when there are lions that are almost perfectly camouflaged in that grass that they are resting in? How is it possible? And I found the answer to that question when I looked a little bit further and I saw this and I took this picture uh, uh, right here. You can see one singular topi standing on a mound of grass that was elevated. His head was high and he was watching in the distance. You know what that topi is? That's the watchman. Amen? The rest of the flock could sleep peacefully. Why? Because there was a watchman that was wide awake, standing, watching for danger, ready to alert the flock at the approach of the ravenous lions. And when I saw that picture or, or that, that image of that topi standing erect, I said a little prayer in my heart, and I said, Lord, make me like that. Amen? Make me a faithful watchman, wide awake, standing faithfully at my post of duty. And friends, is that your prayer today? Amen? The Lord is calling us to be watchmen. And the experience I had there on the African plains reminded me of this verse in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Please write it down. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, and I will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what, shall I, what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me, he said, write the vision, and make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that reads it. God is calling us to watch, to make plain the requirements of God, to make plain the truth of the gospel, so that when the danger comes, those who read it, those who understand the message, can run to the place of safety. God is calling us to watch. But friends, did you know that there are actually two types of watchmen in the Bible? Two types of watchmen. The question is, which one are you? Here's the first one. Isaiah 62, verse 6. Write it down. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silence. A faithful watchman is not going to hold back. They're not going to keep silent. They're not going to be too much concerned with political correctness. They're going to lift up the trumpet and sound the alarm. Not calculating the consequences of giving the message. That's the watchman I want to be like. How about you? But then there's another kind of watchman. That the Bible describes in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 10 and 11. Please write it down. Notice with me on the screen. Bible says, his watchmen are what? Oh, help me out, friends. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all what? Dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. 
and they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every man for his, his gain from his quarter. The Bible describes that there are some watchmen who are like dumb dogs. They can't bark. They're not giving the alarm. They're not sounding the alarm and giving the warning. They're sleepy. They're lying down. They're greedy. They're living for themselves. They're not sacrificing and serving the Lord. They're serving themselves. A dumb dog that can't bark. I don't want to be like that. How about you? Friends, do you remember the story of when the 12 spies went to survey the land of promise? And the 12 came back. Ten of them bore a bad news message, but two of them gave the message of the Lord. Who are, the, who are those two faithful spies, those faithful watchmen? Who, what were their names? Caleb and Joshua. And they gave a message of faith, a message that said victory is possible because God has promised. They were the faithful watchmen. The others were too afraid. Now, friends, I, I like Caleb especially. Caleb's name, you know what Caleb's name means? The word Caleb means dog. But Caleb was a barking dog, amen? He was giving the message of the Lord, and the Lord is calling us to be just like that. Now, the question this evening is this, though. How can we be faithful watchmen? What do watchmen need to watch, and what do watchmen need to know? For the sake of time, I'm going to read these quotations from the Spirit of Prophecy, and I hope you'll write them down and read them when you go home. In the book, Testimonies to the Church, volume 6, page 407, it tells us what the watchmen are supposed to know in order to be faithful watchmen. Notice what it says. It's on the screen. The watchman is to know the time of what? Can you see this? Can everyone see what's on the screen? All right, so help me out. The watchmen are to know the time of night. Everything is now clothed with a solemnity that all who believe the truth for this time should realize. The judgments of God are about to fall upon the world, and we need to be, prepare, be preparing for that great day. Our time is precious. We have but few, very few days of probation in which to make ready for the future immortal life. We have no time to spend in haphazard movements. We should fear to skim the surface of the Word of God. We need to go deeper, friends. We can't stay on the surface of the Bible. We got to go deeper in our prayer life, deeper in our devotional life, deeper in our study life, deeper in our witnessing life. We should be afraid to be surface Christians. Then it says in this passage that the watchmen are to know the what everyone? Remind me, what did, what did we just read? The watchmen are to know the what? Time of night. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to know the time of night? Now, that's not referring to the literal time of night. When, the, when it says that we are to know the time of night, it's referring to the prophetic time of night doesn't matter if you know the exact time of day or night. The devil knows that and he's going to be lost. You see, if we are going to be faithful watchmen, we must understand the prophetic time of night. Now, here's the question. Has God made known the prophetic times to his faithful watchmen? Has he given us some inside information that helps us to understand where we are 
in prophetic time, yes or no? Yes, he has. I wish I had the time to go through this with you. But there is a specific time prophecy that, that, that he has given us understanding of that we know and we understand that not many people know in the world today. The time prophecy of Daniel chapter 8 verse 14. Where the Bible says, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Now that 2,300 day prophecy pointing to the cleansing of the sanctuary was fulfilled in what year? Do you know? 1844. 1844. That time prophecy was fulfilled. In other words, since that year, we've been living in the hour of God's judgment. In the time where Jesus is cleansing the heavenly sanctuary, preparing a people for his soon coming. And according to Revelation chapter 10 and verse 6, Bible tells us in Revelation 10 verse 6 that time is no longer. Time is what? Now when it says that time is no longer, that's not talking about actual or literal time. It's talking about prophetic time. In other words, since the year 1844, prophetic time is finished. The prophecy of 1844 was the last time prophecy. Ever since then, we're not waiting for another time prophecy to be fulfilled. Time prophecy is finished in 1844. The second coming of Christ is not determined or dependent on a time prophecy. God is not waiting for a prophecy of time to be fulfilled. He's waiting for His church, His people to get ready and to share the message in the world. Amen? But friends, will prophetic time start again after 1844? The answer is yes. When is the next time prophecy, when does the next time prophecy actually begin? It will begin when Jesus comes. Because do you remember that when the Lord Jesus comes, He takes us to heaven, and we're going to be there, according to Revelation chapter 20, how long? A thousand years. So time prophecy will begin again once the Lord comes back to take us home. But in between 1844 and the second coming of Christ, there is no specific time prophecies. In other words, we don't know exactly what the time of His coming is going to be. No man knows the exact day or hour of His coming. And so if that's the case, then the question is this. How do we know the prophetic time? How do we know the time of night? If there is no time prophecy, then how can we know the time of night? Well, the answer is very simple. We can know the time of night not by dates, but by events. Not by dates, but by what, everyone? Events. I want us to notice how specific events in the Bible tell us what time of day and night is in the prophetic day. Friends, did you know that both the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus is likened unto the morning? Not the literal morning, but the prophetic, the, the, the prophetic morning in the prophetic day. When Jesus came the first time, the Bible likens that to the morning. When he comes the second time, it, the Bible also likens that to the morning. 
And we're going to see right now that in between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, there are at least three periods of darkness or three periods of night. Notice with me on the screen. Please write it down. We're not going to have the time to look up these verses. But notice with me on the screen. The first coming of Christ is likened unto the morning, according to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, and John chapter 1 and verse 4. Bible says in those passages that the sun shall arise. The sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. That's referring to the first advent of Messiah. It's likened unto the sun rise. That's the morning. John 1 verse 4, it says that, that, that the light came into the world. That's the morning, friends. Jesus comes into this dark planet, and he brings in the morning. He brings in the light. But then after Jesus came, when mankind placed him on the cross, that was a period of darkness. It was a period of night. Luke chapter 22, verse 53. It was the hour of darkness, the time that Jesus was crucified. In Matthew 27, 35, darkness covered the whole land, not just physical, but also spiritual darkness. When humanity crucified their creator, that was nighttime, the time of night. But Jesus, thankfully, did not stay dead. He came forth from the tomb as a conqueror over the grave. And when he resurrected from the grave, that, my friends, was the morning. Can you say amen? The morning. And thus he empowers upon his resurrection. He empowers the early apostolic church to spread the gospel. It's morning. The light of truth is spreading throughout all the world during that time. It's morning. The light is shining. But then after that time of the early apostolic church, another period of darkness would settle upon the world. Nighttime during the dark ages. A time of apostasy. You can read about it in Daniel 8 verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. During this age of compromise, history books call it the dark ages. It's nighttime where apostasy and false doctrines are prevailing in all the world. But then after night, the morning would come again. And this time, during the 16th, 17th, 18th centuries, when the Protestant Reformation took place and the light of truth was restored, and the mid-1800s, the great Advent movement was risen up to restore all the truth in all the world. After the dark ages, here comes the morning, the Reformation, the restoration of truth. It's the morning, friends. Not a literal morning, a prophetic morning. But then after that, there would be one more period of darkness before Jesus comes. The time of trouble in the last days. The final night, Daniel 12 verse 1. There shall be a time of trouble such as never was from the very beginning of time. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1, darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness the people. Matthew 24, the signs of the times, it's the final morning, the time of tribulation and trouble that will take place in the last days. That's the final night. And friends, listen, we are living some time in that final night. But thank the Lord that after night, the morning will come. And this will be the final morning of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The day in which all darkness will flee for eternity. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. 
Bible says that his going forth is like the morning. Matthew 24, verse 27, the second coming will come, he will come from the east, and the sun rises from the east. The second coming of Jesus is the final morning. It is resurrection morning. It is when the eternal morning will come and night will be finished. How many are looking forward to the return of Jesus? Amen. That's why the Bible says that weeping shall endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. In the morning. And the Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, there is no night there. Amen? That's, math, uh, that's Revelation 22, verse 5. In heaven, no night there. The darkness is past. And so we want to be ready for the morning. Amen? I can't hear you. You want to be ready for the morning. Amen? But friends, the, we've been told that in preparation for the morning, the second coming, that the watchmen are to know the what? Time of night. And we know the time of night not by dates because since 1844, there's time no longer. We know the time of night not by dates but by events. There are certain events that help us to understand what time of night we are that reveals to us how close we are to the morning. And that's why the Lord Jesus said, watch and pray for you know not when the time is. You don't know the exact time of the morning. Therefore, we are to watch and pray. We are to watch the passing of events to know when the morning is near. And we are instructed and required to know the time of night. I want you to notice in the book, Great Controversy. The Great Controversy, page 371, here's what the prophet of the Lord says. Though no man knows the day nor the hour of his coming, that's the morning. We don't know when Jesus is coming. No one knows the time of morning. It continues, we are instructed and required to know when it is near. In other words, we are to know the time of night. We are further taught that to disregard his warning and refuse or neglect to know when his advent is near will be as fatal for us as it was for those who lived in the days of Noah, not to know when the flood was coming. So, friends, very interesting. It says there that while we don't know the exact time of his coming, we are instructed and required as watchmen to know when it's near. Watchmen are to know the time of night. And so, listen, friends, while there is a limitation to our understanding as to the definite time of morning, what is in our reach is to know that when it is near. And so the Bible asks the question in the book of Isaiah, the question which is the title of our sermon today, the question is asked, watchmen, what of the night? In other words, the question is, watchmen, what time of night is it? And the watchman responds by saying, the morning comes. And also the night. The morning comes. And also the night. And so, how many of you want to know what time of night it is? You want to know? You ought to want to know if you don't know. Because God is calling you to be a watchman. And you're instructed and required to know so that you can give the warning to others. And so if you want to know what time of night is, let me hear you say amen. 
First though, let us see the importance of knowing Him. Let's turn now in our Bible to the book of Luke chapter 19, shall we? Turn quickly, we're in Mark right now. Let's go to the book of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we're going to know by the time we're finished what time of night it is specifically. We're going to know what specific event that is taking place that helps us to know that the Lord is soon to come. We're going to Luke chapter 19 where Jesus describes the signs of the times and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And remember that the destruction of Jerusalem was a microcosm, an object lesson of the destruction of the world in the last days. So what happened in a literal local location in Jerusalem will be repeated on a grander scale in the last days. And so Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 43, if you're there, would you please say amen? Here's what he says. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Why? Because thou knewest not the what? The time of thy visitation. Friends, do you understand what that is saying? Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And he is saying that the Romans are going to come and besiege you, surround you on every side. And eventually they're going to destroy the city and they're going to raise the temple to the ground. Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Christ is prophesying that the temple would be destroyed. And friends, my wife and I were just in Israel earlier this year, just a few uh, months ago. And we went to the Temple Mount and at the bottom around, surrounding the mount, we saw these huge stones, the remnants of the stones of the temple. It's still there as a testament that what Jesus said came to pass. I climbed up on those stones and took a picture. It was amazing to see with mine own eyes the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Not one stone left upon another. All of them were thrown down. And you can go to Israel today and still see those, those stones all thrown down. But why? Why? What reason did Jesus give that Jerusalem would be destroyed? He said, because you did not know the what? The time of thy visitation. And friends, the time that Jesus is referring to in this chapter, in this passage, is the prophetic time of judgment described in Daniel chapter 9. Many Jews were lost because they did not understand that time prophecy. Now the next question is this. What event marked the end of time for Israel? Let's go now to the book of Mark. In fact, let me just quote it to you for the sake of time. Please write it down. But Mark chapter 13 and verse 14, Jesus said this. Listen very carefully. But when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see what everyone? The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that reads understand. And let him that be in Judea flee to the mountain. So Jesus said, when you see with your physical eye the abomination of desolation, standing where it should not be, then you need to flee to the mountain for your life. So there was something that the Israelites could literally see that indicated the time of the fulfillment of prophecy. And when they saw that, they were to flee for their lives in the mountains for safety. 
Now, what exactly was this abomination of desolation that they would see? What is that? Well, friends, we don't have to guess because Mark 21 verse 20 tells us exactly what that abomination was. So you, you might be in Luke still. Let's read chapter 21 and verse 20 to see what that sign was and what it has to do with us living in the last days. Luke chapter 21 verse 20. Jesus said, and when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with what? Compassed with what? Armies then know that the desolation thereof is nigh or near. And so what was the abomination of desolation that told them that the time was, was, was come for them to flee? Comparing Scripture with Scripture, Jesus said, when you see the armies surrounding Jerusalem. And friends, it was by the besiegement of the Roman armies that they were to know that the time was near. And friends, when the Roman armies came into Jerusalem, they came carrying Roman standards in their hands. And on that Roman standard was a pagan sign. And they took those standards, those signs of paganism, and they planted it upon the holy ground. And that, my friends, is the abomination that would lead to desolation. A pagan sign, listen friends, listen very carefully. When a pagan sign is placed in a holy place, that's the abomination that the Jews back then were to look for. And friends, it's the same for us today. Now, what does this have to do with us? Time will not permit us to dissect and prove every point that we're about to say from this point on. Allow me, friends, simply to read you from the Spirit of Prophecy, which summarizes exactly what the Bible teaches. For those of you who saw our seminar, uh, you, you, our Revelation of Hope Bible Prophecy seminar, we have at least three presentations that cover this in detail straight from the Bible. The abomination of desolation is one of them. The mark of the beast and the seal of God is another one. And the battle of Armageddon. These presentations, we dissect in detail what we're about to summarize right now in the spirit of prophecy. So even though we're reading for the spirit of prophecy, everything that we're about to read is strictly biblical. If we had the time, we could prove it. But since we don't, allow me to summarize. What does this have to do with us? Let me read from Testimonies, volume 5, page 451. Here's what it says. As the approach of the Roman armies was a sign, was it what everyone? A sign to the disciples of the impending destruction of Jerusalem, so may this apostasy be a sign to us that the limit of God's forbearance is reached and that the measure of our nation's iniquity is full. And that the angel of mercy is about to take her flight, never to return. So friends, notice the sign of the approach of the Roman armies to the Jews. Just like they had that physical or, or, or visible sign. She says, so may this apostasy be a sign for us. So whatever this apostasy is, is telling us what the time of night is. So now we want to find out what exactly is this apostasy. If we know what this apostasy is, we're going to know what the time of night is. If we know the time of night is, then we can be a faithful watchman giving the warning to the world. And so how many of you now want to know what this apostasy is? I want to know. 
I really want to know what that is. I want to be a faithful watchman. Friends, do you want to know? If you want to know, let me hear you say amen. Are you sure you want to know? If so, let me hear you say amen again, a little bit louder. All right, some of you look like you don't want to know. But since the majority want to know, we're going to go through it and allowing the spirit of prophecy to summarize it. Please write this down. The context of that quote says this. Testimonies, volume 5, page 451. I'm going to read the whole quotation, and then we'll dissect it, and I'm going to show you how this is happening today in our world. But here's what it reads. By the decree enforcing the institution of the papacy in violation of the law of God, our nation will disconnect herself fully from righteousness. When Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power, when she shall reach over the abyss to clasp hands with spiritualism, when under the influence of this threefold union, our country shall repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Protestant and Republican government and shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions, then we may know that the what? Time has come for the marvelous working of Satan and that the end is near. Watchmen, what of the night? The morning comes, but also the light. Friends, allow me now to break down this quotation, and we're going to see how this is happening right now before our very eyes. Let's find out what does this mean? What is this spirit prophecy saying to us? Let's break it down. Here's what it says. And if we keep it, keep it on the screen, please. It says, by the decree. Friends, what is another word for decree? Law. By the decree or law, what kind of law? The law enforcing the institution of the what? Papacy. So the papacy has an institution that they want to make a law in the land. And it says that when this institution of the papacy becomes the law, it is in violation to whose law? To the law of God. So there's a papal institution that violates God's law that they want to make the law of the land. And it says that, that, that our nation, Ellen White was writing, she's an American, so when she says our nation, she's referring to the United States of America. Our nation will disconnect herself fully from righteousness. Friends, what exactly is that papal institution that contradicts God's law that will eventually may be made the law of the land that especially the United States will pass and propagate? It is none other than the Sunday law. Sunday worship is an institution of the papacy. It is their mark of authority. And they want to make this a law, but they need governmental or political power in order to pass it. And that is exactly what's going to happen. Sunday worship as the law of a state. And when the state enforces Sunday worship or a Sunday law, that will disconnect herself from righteousness because it contradicts or violates the law of God. Now, friends, do you remember when the Roman armies besieged Jerusalem, they were carrying with them pagan standards, and they placed it on holy ground. In the same way, Sunday worship is a pagan institution. It is the day in which the pagans worship the sun god. 
Sunday worship is pagan. And when you make Sunday worship the day of worship in the church, that's like placing a Roman standard on a holy ground. It is an abomination that will bring about final desolation. And so, it's talking about a national and international Sunday law. But how will this law be passed? The quote continues to say this. <clears throat> Listen carefully. When Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power, then when she shall reach over the abyss to clasp the hands with spiritualism, and when under the influence of this threefold union, stop right there. So it's saying that there's going to be a threefold union that will unite together. And as a result of the union of these three parties, a national Sunday law is going to be passed. And what are the three parties? Number one, Protestantism. Number two, the Roman power, which is Catholicism. And then number three is what? Spiritualism. Now, friends, let me ask you a question. Is Protestantism and Catholicism, are they uniting today? Absolutely yes, friends. There's an ecumenical unity between Protestantism, Catholicism, and New Age spiritualism that we're seeing today more than ever before in the history of our world. Did you realize that Protestants, many of them have apologized for the Reformation, saying that it was all a mistake? In fact, next year is going to be the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the church door. He did it on October 31st, 1517. Next year, October 31st, will be the 500th year of the great Protestant Reformation. And do you know what the churches are doing? Catholicism and many of those Protestant churches in Europe are going to have an ecumenical celebration to celebrate the 500th year of the Reformation. Unity and ecumenism is a buzzword in mainstream churches of today. And friends, when you think about it, Protestantism has changed. They're no longer protesting. But Catholicism, at its very foundation, remains the same. We hear the first Jesuit pope saying things like this, that when we proselytize amongst Christians, we are committing a grave sin. And he is warning people not to listen to apocalyptic preachers. I wonder why he's giving that warning. Because he knows that it's in Revelation that exposes the plans of the papacy. And friends, let me ask you, is there a strong unity between mainstream Christianity and spiritualism? Yes. Listen carefully. The new spirituality, I don't know if you've heard that expression before, but many churches of the world today are talking about the new spirituality. And essentially the new spirituality, they're saying this. The new spirituality downplays distinctive doctrines... And in place of doctrine, it exalts human experience and reason as the test of truth. Essentially, they're saying, let's all come together in unity and let's put aside all our doctrinal differences. As long as you have the Holy Spirit, as long as you uh, have the Spirit, and many of them are saying, and have the evidence of it by speaking in tongues and having this charismatic experience, as long as you have that, God is in you and God is in me. It doesn't really matter what we believe. And they're saying, let's come together in the Spirit. But it's at the cost of truth. It's a false spirit. And that, my friends, is essentially New Age spiritualism covered with Christian robes. Because friends, what is the new age? The new age, 
downplays objective and absolute truth, and it exalts subjective human experience in place of that. And that new age is just the old lie of the serpent. You remember the serpent in Genesis chapter 3? What, what was the serpent essentially saying to Adam and Eve? Has God really said that you shall, need of every tree, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Number one, he was casting doubt on the objective word of God. Has God really said that? God didn't really say that. That's the implication. And then he said, go ahead and eat. Your eyes are going to be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. In other words, what the devil was doing, he was downplaying objective truth and he was exalting a subjective experience. Go ahead, Eve, eat and have your own experience because your personal experience trumps objective truth. But friends, the truth is this. We are to never test the Word of God by an experience. We are to test every experience by the Word of God. Can you say amen? Because the devil can manipulate your experience. He can manipulate your senses. Truth is determined not by a subjective experience, but by the Word of God. But the new spirituality says it doesn't really matter what the Word of God teaches. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you have the quote-unquote spirit. And that's ecumenism and how they're all coming together in unity. So we see that three, these three powers, if we put that quote up on the screen again, Protestantism, the Roman power, and spiritualism are all united today. And under this threefold union, what's going to happen next? Here's what the quote says. Our country, talking about the United States, shall do what? Repudiate. That means to take away or deny the truth of. They shall repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Protestant and Republican government and shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions. Friends, listen carefully. The foundational principle of the United States Constitution is religious freedom. And so to repudiate the principles of the Constitution simply means to deny the truth and to remove the right to religious freedom. And they're going to do this in order to propagate a papal falsehood. And friends, what papal falsehood will they propagate? It is the National Sunday Law. Now, friends, listen. The ecumenical movement is in harmony with this National Sunday Law because they believe that this is of the Lord. You see, there is no sinister or evil or blatant intentions behind wanting to pass a National Sunday Law. Those who are for it, the, the Christians who are for it, they're sincere. They, they, they're saying, you know, we have all of these calamities in our world, terrorism and natural disasters and economic instability. And the reason why all of this chaos is happening is because we don't have God's protection because the world is le has left God. So in order to solve the problems of the world, we need to come back to God. And in order to come back to God, we need to unite upon that which we all have in common. In almost every church, the thing that they have in common is Sunday worship. And they have good intentions. They're sincere. But friends, sincerity is not enough because we can be sincerely mistaken. We can be sincerely wrong. So ironically, religious liberties are actually going to be stripped by those who are religious themselves, not realizing that what they're doing. And then it says, 
when this takes place, then we may know that the time has come for the marvelous working of Satan and that the end is near. Friends, we're asked the question, watchmen, what of the night? Watchmen, what of the night? Let us never be afraid or ashamed to respond to that question by saying to the world, the morning comes, but also the night. While the final abomination of desolation is being set up in the churches of the world today, God is asking watchmen, what of the night? As these things are taking place all around us, and friends, we just went on the surface in discussing these things. There are so many evidences, so many quotes uh, from newspapers that we can read today to see the agenda that is taking place. We don't have the time, but as we see these things taking place, God is calling us as watchmen to wake up, to cry aloud, spare not, and to lift up our voice like a trumpet and loud let it ring that Jesus is coming again. Amen? The morning is coming, but also the night. Jesus is coming. How long? Not long, friends. His coming is near. It's almost here, and it's not mere fear. And so now that we know the time of night, seeing that the National Sunday Law is being, the stage is set for it to be passed, how now shall we prepare for the glorious morning? Here's my last verse. Here's what Jesus says. Luke 21, verse 28. Friends, listen, before we read this, we're living in a very fearful time. But you know what the good news is? You have nothing to be afraid of. The Bible says, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yes, we live in a scary time, but friends, as long as we know Jesus, we have nothing to fear because the Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. All we need to do is learn to love Jesus. And we love him because why? He first loved us. Study the love of Christ, friends. Let your, your human nature be broken at the foot of Calvary's cross. Let God pour his infinite agape, unconditional love in your selfish, cold human heart. And when love goes in, fear goes out. Amen. And God has revealed these prophecies to us, not to, not to scare us, to help us to get ready, to help us to know that time is almost finished and that he's soon coming to rescue us from this crazy world. Amen? And so now that we know the time of night, how do we prepare for the morning? Luke chapter 21 and verse 28, notice what the Bible says. This is Jesus speaking. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. Oh, friends, listen. It's important as watchmen that we look around so that we can see the signs recognizing the time of night and give the warning to those around us. But don't focus on what's around you. Bible says, look up. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into his wonderful face. And when you do, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. 
Yes, we are to know the signs in order to be faithful watchmen, but don't focus on the signs. Focus on the Savior. When you look around, you see the time of night, and you realize that we're living in a nightmare, but we're not to focus on that. Look up, and you will see that the morning comes. Jesus is soon to come. And as you keep your eyes on Christ, by beholding, you will become changed into the same image. And so, my friends, as we close tonight, look up. When you feel troubled by the frightening scenes of night, look up. When all the world is against you and you feel all alone, look up. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, look up. When your heart is filled with fear and your eyes are filled with tears, look up. When you've been diagnosed with cancer and you need to find some answers, look up. When your kids are acting crazy and your spouse is acting lazy, look up. When the bills are piling high and all you can do is cry, look up. When the traffic is backed up and you're down on your luck, look up. When the church feels old and cold and you're tempted to leave the fold, look up, lift up your heads. Jesus is coming again. Can somebody say amen? And when you look up, then you will see, like the words of that powerful hymn on the screen, it says, the golden morning is fast approaching. Jesus soon will come to take his faithful and happy children to their promised home. When you look up, what do you see? You see that the gospel summons will soon be carried to the nations round. The bridegroom then will cease to, care, to tarry and the trumpet sound. Attended by all the shining angels down the flaming sky, the judge will then take his people where they will not die. Then those loved ones who have long been parted will all meet that day. The tears of those who are brokenhearted will be wiped away. Oh, we see the gleams of the golden morning piercing through this night of gloom. We see the gleams of the golden morning that will burst the tomb. Watchmen, what of the night? What's your response? The morning comes, but also the night. As we close this evening, how many want to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for sleeping in the time of crisis. Help me, Lord, to wake up and help me to watch, to be faithful, to give the warning message with the love of Christ and the compassion of Jesus, that I might be ready for the morning, but also that you might use me to help others, my friends, my family, my loved ones, to be ready for that golden morning. Is that your prayer tonight? How many want to be a faithful watchman? If so, would you stand with me and let us pray. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your great love, for the privilege that you've given to us to be your messengers, your watchmen in these last days. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have been unfaithful, the times that we have been sleeping. Lord, please, arouse us from spiritual slumber. Help us to recognize the time in which we live, to know the time of night. Please, Lord, make us ready for the glorious morning just around the corner. Lord, as we look at what's taking place in our world, we recognize that 
your kingdom is not of this world. That we're not to be a political people pushing for these types of things, but we're to be preparing for heaven. And so, Lord, as we see the stage being set for the final crisis, the final apostasy, the National Sunday Law, Lord, please help us to keep our eyes on Jesus. And as we behold you, may we become changed into your glorious image. And then, Lord, use our voices to give the trumpet a certain sound, a sound of warning, not a sensational, fanatical sound, but a sound of truth covered and clothed and filled with the love and compassion of Jesus. Make us your watchman, Lord, is our prayer. We thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, let all of the watchmen of the Lord say, Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.